0: Farm, Food, Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to the Farm, Food, Facts interactive podcast presented by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance for Wednesday, December 12, 2018. Today, our thought leader is Kim Kircher, an award-winning registered dietitian and a certified personal trainer. She has experience in agriculture, supermarket, media, hospital-based health and fitness centers, as well as outpatient medical nutrition therapy programs. She served as the chair of the Food and Culinary Professionals Dietetic Practice Group for 2017-2018 and has been a chair of both the FCP Agriculture and Supermarket Subgroups. Kim is a past president of the Illinois Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And later on in the podcast, we'll be joined by Farmer Jay Hill of Hill Farms and Wholesome Farms. Let's get started. Kim, welcome to Farm Food Facts.
1: Thank you so much, Phil. It's great to be here with you. So let's
0: talk about holidays. You know, from Thanksgiving through Super Bowl, these have become major food holidays. What can retailers do to help shoppers choose better-for-you foods that are still celebratory but keep us from gaining those extra-dreaded holiday pounds?
1: Yes, food is such a vital part of all of those celebrations, and I think one of the most accessible and relatable ways that we can help people is through recipes and meal ideas that really incorporate balance. So thinking about party platters and thinking about those dippers and what's on a traditional buffet, and really thinking about solving the shopper's problems for them and being intuitive about that. So pre-portioned options of those decadent treats, So people can really choose the amount, the size, and what they actually want to do with their food intake for that time. And when you look at recipes and meal solutions, there's so many different ways that we can help people sneak in a little bit of nutrition when they don't even realize it. For example, like if you use Greek yogurt, you get a little bit of protein in your dip instead of something else that is a traditional recipe ingredient.
0: Gotcha. So let me go back to the party platters, because when I when I look at the party platter offerings that are out there, uh, typically they're not pr- very healthy. There's a lot of, of deli meats on there, a lot of foods that are high in fat, high in sodium. So do do retailers um, in in your observation. Are retailers changing those to, to offer something more than just that? And, and what are some of the alternatives that people should be asking on their deli platter?
1: Yeah, there's such a variety when you shop the store. And I really encourage people to shop the whole store and retailers to look at their entire store because in every aisle and in every section, there's a moment for someone to make a better choice. So when you're looking at the, the party platters, thinking about fruits and vegetables. What is so beautiful about them is they come in these glorious colors. And if we think about arranging them for the festivities, like let's say we pick red and green fruits and vegetables, and you take that moment to really separate them and maybe you make them into a wreath shape, even if it's something that you pre-purchased, those little touches that speak to the festivities really do make a big difference. And as far as the meats and cheeses go, Those small little cubes make a big difference. They have a portion control built in for them already. And some of those meats are leaner. So really thinking about variety is important and also allowing for a little bit of wiggle room in the holidays is really smart too. So thinking about encouraging the shoppers to take an extra lap around the grocery store and really thinking about ways to burn off those extra calories and really honor the foods of the season.
0: Kim, you've also worked with and helped the Independent Grocers Alliance owners, or as consumers know it, IGA stores across the nation, understand shoppers' nutritional needs. Uh, What are some of the programs that they're implementing that are making a difference in their customers' lives? And and give us the 101 about IGA.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. So IGA stands for Independent Grocers Alliance, and it's basically 6,000 stores worldwide with 1,100 in the U.S., And it was founded back in 1926 to really bring family-owned local grocery stores together to meet the needs of every community that these grocery stores are in. And what I love about it is much like farmers and ranchers, IGA grocers are oftentimes second, third, and fourth generation. So there's such a commitment, there's such a legacy, and there's such a conversation going on. So it's really kind of a a cool thought when you think about farm-to-table and you think about the grocers in the towns and the farmers that are local to those stores and really working synergistically together so when we to answer your question about the better choices we actually built our health and wellness program online first to be mobile friendly because we know our shoppers in that moment sometimes they're not even finding dinner ideas until right after work or after school so how can we help them be intuitive with what they need because health and well-being is such an individual conversation for people so You can never be everything to everyone, but you can be something to someone, if that makes any sense. So we actually have recipes, planning, solutions, things that are on our shoppers' minds that our retailers can share out easily on their websites and on social media. And again, it's a mobile-friendly site. So if our shopper wants to pull it up and shop to a recipe that we've put on for the month, they can easily do that as well.
0: Gotcha. Um, At holiday time, it also seems that one measurement of people's enjoyment is the more food you put on the table, the better. You know, when you go to somebody's party, if it's not, you know, overflowing with food people you know turn up their nose uh but with that also comes a lot of waste from what i've observed what are some of the tips you have for supermarket retailers to empower their shoppers to reduce food waste that we know is such a huge problem here in the u.s
1: yes and i'm so glad you asked that question because when you think about food waste and you think about what farm to table authentically means it's really farm to table and beyond and when we think about those leftovers there's all kinds of things that we can think about doing for them. And I'm going to take you back in the day when I got right out of grad school. We talked about food waste in a little bit of a different way, but we've been talking about it as retailers and as dietitians for decades. But back then we called it managing your food budget or food safety tips. And in fact, if you go onto our iga.com site and you go into the better choices, you're going to see a food safety section. You're going to see a nod to what to do to how to manage that. So you're not wasting food accidentally by leaving it out too long or not thinking about those temperatures. And really every month we try to give a nod to those tips because if you can select, store, and prepare your food properly, Mm -hmm. you are going to be managing food waste. And you get the bonus as a shopper of managing your food budget. So as retailers, we all have a role in this. Dietitians, shoppers, everyone across the food supply chain can make something different and a better choice as far as food waste goes and it can really feel like a huge undertaking so how can we as retailers and dietitians break it down into a tangible actionable step for people by giving them those tips like how do you store something after you've cut it up how long can you keep those leftovers when do you need to move them into the freezer and I'm going to bring recipes up again too because we all know that after that party's over for the food that's been left stored properly How do we incorporate that into meals for weeks to come? Pull it out of the freezer and you've got a treat down the road. So there's lots of little things that add up to a big difference in that conversation that everybody wins from.
0: Lastly, Kim, with New Year's resolutions just a couple weeks away and at the top of many people's lists are eating healthier or losing weight or doing both, what should grocery retailers be doing to help their shoppers stick to their goals?
1: It's really fun to think about resolutions. And what I love, if you look back over the last few years, you see that people consistently want health and wellness in their mindset in January. And that's a wonderful place for retailers to start is to look to inspire action in those moments. So I think it's always about how do we be the problem solver for the people coming in through our doors? And when you think about that, eating better, moving more, maybe sleeping better, Those kinds of things, other well-being, like everything that a person chooses in their lifestyle, including taking care of their pets, all of those things are conversations that retailers can have a moment to help their shopper do better, become more informed. So whether it's through online, digital, social media, website, whatever you want to do in that space, whether it's through a sign or a demo where there's just that one little extra tip about it. Maybe those recipes have been reworked for a smaller household. There's all these moments that people can really take advantage of to help each other out. And I think that's the beauty of the retail space is it's where people are making their food decisions and we can help them in those moments by solving those problems for them.
0: Kim, thanks so much for your insights and happy holidays to you and yours.
1: Happy holidays. Thank you very much for having me on today.
0: Could this app be the key to saving crops from pests and pathogens? There's a new app called FarmWave, which uses artificial intelligence to detect pathogens and pests on crops. The app also recommends ways to deter these pests and pathogens and prevent them from spreading. You see, if a farmer scans an ear of corn, the FarmWave app can identify that item is corn. And that particular ear of corn has leaf blight. The app can also identify that the blight is 40% severe or say 80% severe. This app could potentially help farmers save loads of time and money by simply using the app rather than the previous traditional method of hiring a crop scouter or agronomist to detect issues with their crops and then resolve them. It can often take an agronomist a day or two to get a particular farmer's area, and in some cases, it may even take a week. Unfortunately, in a week, a disease could spread from 7 acres to 70 acres, and then the farmer is really in a rough predicament and likely losing out on crop yield. However, image recognition technology utilized by an app like FarmWave can get farmers a high-accuracy answer to their query, in just a few seconds. What grocers need to know is there's a plethora of new farm tech on the rise, but this new app may prove to be particularly useful to the ad community due to the timeliness of the results that it provides. If pathogens and pests are identified quickly, destruction can be significantly curtailed. In turn, the amount of herbicides or fungicides needed can be significantly lessened, which is also beneficial to crop yields and the environment as a whole. Users can also share their reports with notes to help out other farmers and keep track of where issues occurred, future planning. This could prove to be quite a valuable resource. In their other innovative technology news, we're facing a storm of innovation. But the question is, your supply chain, is it prepared? This storm results from two important facets colliding. First facet is customer empowerment. Customers these days are more informed and because of that, they're much more demanding. Customers hold power and they're aware of it. The other facet is component of intelligent technologies, including the internet, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and blockchain. Leading companies are using intelligent technologies to transform their business processes, develop new models for delivery, and to create satisfying experiences that empowered customers demand and expect. The modern customer seeks more individualized products, and in order to accommodate this demand, companies are now scrambling to change their supply chain processes. Predictive maintenance is one way to drive value from deciphered data, and as manufacturers become more confident with the intelligent technologies at their disposal, as well as becoming more familiar with the digital supply chain, they'll find even more ways to tap into that value. Here's an example that Forbes recently positioned. If I leverage blockchain to secure transitions and enable visibility from farm to table, I can promote my produce as sustainable and ethically sourced. And if I use the internet sensors and GPS technology to gain real-time visibility into logistics, I can ensure on-time delivery and better customer service levels, as one example. That's just one possible way that manufacturers can use data throughout the digital supply chain. Continued exploration of these technologies will help organizations attract new customers, making them more than just service providers. Rather, they become valued business partners generating new revenue sources, and this is how the digital supply chain can act as a business enabler for the digital economy. What grocers need to know is as technology and data continue to be large components of our day-to-day lives, utilizing the tech and data at hand can be a huge resources for grocers and food retailers in terms of evolving practices, tracking new customers, and generating new sources of revenue. And it's not just businesses that are evolving. Farmers are too. Meet the new American farmer. Andrew Flax is an environmental anthropologist at Purdue University who claims that there's a growing movement creating a new American farmer. He defines the new American farmer as younger people new to agriculture work who do it for different reasons than the conventional farmer. They may be motivated by higher education, personal politics, disenchantment with urban life, or the search for an authentic rural identity, he said. These new American farmers could have a significant impact on food production because they occupy an important intersection of the niche marketing strategies, environmental politics, and rural demographic change. His findings show that newer farmers appear to thrive on the outskirts of cities that provide high demand and purchasing power, a larger population and a healthy number of farmers markets. What grocers need to know is the ag community should keep an eye on these new American farmers as they could have a significant impact on food production because they occupy an important intersection of niche marketing strategies, environmental politics, and rural demographic change. As the ag industry continues to change and evolve, these new farmers could bring fresh, unique insights and innovative strategies to the table. And to shift gears, something that's not changing is the rising urgency to address climate change and its effects. Leading scientists call for an eight-step action to increase global soil carbon. Ag production is under siege, as one-third of the world's soil is degraded. However, in a recent piece published in The Nature Journal, climate change and ag scientists have collaborated to lay out a plan for recuperating soil carbon stocks in an effort to mitigate climate change and boost soil fertility. The scientists suggest the following eight steps. First, stop carbon loss, meaning we should protect paint lands through enforcing regulations against burning and drainage. Number two, promote carbon uptake. That is to identify and promote the best practices for storing carbon in ways that are suitable to local conditions, including through incorporating crop residues, cover crops, agroforestry, contour farming, terracing, nitrogen fixing plants, and irrigation. Number three, to monitor, report, and verify impacts. We must track and evaluate interventions with science based harmonized protocols and standards. Number four, Deploy technology by using high-tech opportunities for faster, cheaper, and more accurate monitoring of soil carbon changes. Number five, to test the strategies. Determine what works in local conditions by using models as well as a network of field sites. Number six, involve communities. Let's employ citizen science to collect data and create an open online platform for sharing. Number seven coordinate policies, integrate soil carbon with natural climate commitments to the Paris Agreement and other policies on soil and climate. And lastly, provide support by ensuring technical assistance, incentives to farmers, monitoring systems, and carbon taxes to promote widespread implementation. All that being said, the scientists also argue that a joint forum for coordinated action and funding to close gaps in the research will be necessary. These eight steps are also intended to inform the next workshop of the Coravina Joint Work on Agriculture, scheduled for June of 2019, which will address soil carbon. It's time to hear direct from the farmer. Jay Hill grew up helping his dad on their 10-acre hobby farm. Now, once Jay was in his teen years, he began to express serious interest in growing the family farm. Over the next few years, they began buying or renting neighboring farms while Jay spent his summers working in an onion shed. After college, Jay partnered with Oregon Mountain Produce, a pinto bean cleaning and sales company. And as the farm continued to grow, Jay saw a need to start informing others about America's food supply. In 2015, Jay was selected as one of the faces of farming and ranching for the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. He spent the next two years traveling the country talking to consumers about the day-to-day workings on the farm. In 2016, Hill partnered on another endeavor. Wholesome Valley Farms was created to sell farm-grown produce directly to restaurants and grocery stores. In 2017, Jay expanded his operation into West Texas, where he grows alfalfa, chili peppers, wine grapes, along with a new livestock feed company. Jay attributes his growth to his wife, Katie, daughter, Harvest, father, Jim, brother, Ross, and a great group of employees. In less than 17 years, they've grown from just 10 acres to more than 17,000 acres and 85 full-time employees. Jay, welcome to Farm Food Facts.
2: Thank you so much for having me on today.
0: So so first, you've got to tell me about the onion shed. Um, what was it like working in an onion shed, and what is an onion shed?
2: Yeah, so my, my first job at, at uh, an onion shed was actually helping sweep floors and, uh, and loading trucks at night. Uh, an onion shed is where farmers will, it's almost like a co-op, except it's privately owned. Farmers will grow onions for a packing facility or an onion shed. And, uh, and then the packing shed will come out and harvest those onions, uh, take them back to the facility, pack them into whatever bag or box they're going to go into for, for retail and, or wholesale, and, uh, and then they're loaded on trucks and sent all over the country. So my first job was sweeping floors and, uh, and helping the
0: night crew load my trucks So from onion shed to 17,000 acres, wow. Um, In just a few days from now, Jay, you know, millions of families are going to be gathering around their tables and celebrate the holidays with food, lots and lots of food. Um, Often, we use an abundance of food to show people just how much we love them. We, We carpet the table with as much food as we can. What about waste? How much food is actually being wasted over our holiday tables?
2: You know, think about that. Think about when, when you see somebody over the trash can after one of those mills and they're scraping their plates and how much food actually goes into it. Um, we see in, in agriculture, we see that waste times three actually in the field still. And so uh, it, it's a sign of, of prosperity. It's a sign of success that we're able to, to you know, have these very large, ordained, beautiful meals. But in all reality, um, is it really necessary? I don't, I don't think it is.
0: Yeah. So what what are farmers doing to educate people to curb food waste across the entire supply chain?
2: You know, we really haven't in the last three or four years, we've actually started to open up the discussion. But before that, we really didn't ever have a discussion about, you know, how much food is being wasted and how many millions of tons of produce. And I mean, anything and everything that we do in agriculture is actually wasted or spoiled because uh, we don't use it all. And I think we're starting to see that farmers are, are trying to open the open the conversation up a little bit more to hey, you don't have to buy it, you know, produce just because it's perfect color or perfect mm-hmm. shape. Um, and and I think that's starting to take off. People really, you know, we're, we're still dealing with this gigantic buzzword of sustainability. And mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing with that is is, is people want to be sustainable but at the same time. Uh, their pride lets them get in the way and, and you don't see them being very sustainable at the end of the day. And that's where we see food waste.
0: So Jay, what, um, what's the role of a grocery store, a, a, a retailer, what could and should they do?
2: Well, well, we'll think about it. I mean, there, there should be, I say there should be like, like I would be able to, to tell a grocery store what they should and shouldn't do. But the, the biggest thing is there needs to be more education on, on a front that says just because something is not perfect, doesn't mean that it's not edible and it's not just as nutritious as something else. Um, if, if a farmer, let's say, you know, for instance, we're growing lettuce and I, I end up leaving 10 to 20% of lettuce in the field just because it's not perfect. Um, all of that lettuce still could go to a family somewhere around the country and still provide, you know, a great salad. Mm-hmm. If there was some education in schools, if there was some education even at the supermarket that, you know, there was a hanging banner that said, Hey, it's not perfect, but it's still perfect for you. Um, I think you would start to see that this is gonna be an endeavor that's gonna happen over generations. And until people in America truly start to worry about a food supply, I don't think you're gonna see people really pay attention to ugly produce.
0: Yeah. And I think that we're seeing more and more supermarket retailers around the country starting to sell, you know, ugly produce. Um, But I'm not sure, to your point, um, that they're really helping people understand what it is. I I mean, I don't see a lot of signs up. I do see more ugly produce. Uh, Certain retailers are having a little fun with it, with the name, but you know to to your point, that banner you know that says you know it 's just as nutritious it 's uh, better for you it 's cheaper for you, all that we really we really need to have that dialogue happen between farmers and the retailer and really have more of those those meetings, if you would one on one. To empower the retailer so that they can empower the consumer. Uh, let me switch gears for a second. Um, you you now sell directly to restaurants and supermarkets from the farm. Why are you doing that?
2: Well, we've done that we've done that for the last oh, seven eight years, and actually, we just sold that company um, in the last no ninety days. Uh, a larger a larger food distributor uh, purchased that company from us, and and what we saw is in the in the market that we're at. Uh, there's a lot of people that are always asking, Hey, we want something that we can tie a story to, you know, when people are buying something at a restaurant, when they're ordering a a plate, you know, if they can say, Oh, you know what? I knew this was Jay's farm, or I knew this was something, you know, that was grown locally. It kind of gives them a conversation piece because I mean, let's face it. Food is a luxury item in, in America. And the fact that, that so many people, you know, use a mill as, as a, as a way to spoil themselves or entertain a guest, uh, if there's a conversation piece tied to it, then that, that really helps the situation. So we were trying to target that market. We wanted people to say, hey, this was grown on Hill Farms so or this was grown at Wholesome Valley or Dell Valley or whatever it was. Uh, but what we found out is that's not a very sustainable way for us to market our food. My job is best described as a farmer, someone that actually grows the food. I work through social media to show people what happens but then it's better for me to go ahead and hand that off to somebody that does, does nothing but cater to the end consumer. And, um, and so what we've seen on our side is we're going to do a great job of, of offering transparency in what we produce. But at the same time, uh, we're going to let the experts handle the actual distribution of it.
0: Gotcha. Well, Jay, thanks so much for joining us. Um, all the best for the holidays to you and your family and uh, keep up the great work getting that message out thanks. there.
2: Thank you. Happy holidays to you and Merry Christmas.
0: And thank you all for joining us on Farm Food Facts today. For more information on all things food and agriculture and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com, look under the Programs and Media tab, and until next week.